Welcome to How We Run, a podcast where we examine how nonprofits become successful. I'm Trent Stan, CEO of the Eisner Foundation. And I'm Julie Lapacher, founder of Good Ways, Inc. In this episode, we're joined by Jong-Ho Song, the executive director of the Koreatown Youth and Community Center. He joins us to talk about his decades in leadership at the organization and how he's kept them responsive to the community's needs, even if it meant changing the organization's name. Hey, Trent, how are you? I'm doing great, Julie. How are you? Good. There was a part in the episode where you were talking to Mark Friedman, maybe it was last week, where he said he needed to learn how to move from can do it to conduit. Do you remember that moment? I do. And I pretended like I knew what he was talking about. I can't get it out of my head. I keep (laughs) thinking about that, though, of how to move from a person who is hands on and doing everything in an organization to someone that is the conduit for all the stuff that's going on around. Yeah, I think we've heard that a lot this season. And we heard it from Tony Brown, who talked about how he had to let go. We talked about DeMarc, who talked about how he had to let others do a lot of the work and empower them. And today, I heard it from Jong Ho Song from KYCC, who talked about one of the things he had to do was to empower his organization to make the changes. And he had to figure out ways to not have them be in silos, but to come together and, and work as one large team. Yeah. Tell our listeners about Jong Ho Song. We've been funding KYCC, Koreatown Youth Community Center, for, for several years. They have some very high quality intergenerational programs, and they are really ingrained in their community, Koreatown, which for those who are not in Los Angeles, is a really complicated place that has vacillated between being primarily Asian American and then being more Latino and then moving back towards being more Asian American. There's a lot of gentrification taking place there now, and it's just a really complicated community, but yet somehow or another, Jong Ho has found a way to make himself continue to be the unofficial mayor of the community and be known to the schools and the businesses and all of the politicians in the area. And then just the families going out with him is going out with, with Mickey Mouse walking through Disneyland or something. Everybody just flocks and wants to be in his presence, but he walks down the street and people just come, um, and want to be close to him and thank him for the literally decades of good work he's done in the community. Yeah, that's tremendous. The thing that I think about that relates it back to what Mark Friedman said, though, Jong Ho has really figured out a way to let his community be the conduit, right? He's following their lead. And it's not like they're just laying stuff on the community. They're being so responsive to whatever the neighborhood needs and wants. 100%. As the community has evolved, KYCC has evolved, even to the point where they've changed their name several times to be more representative of who they serve and, and how they serve them. It really is one of those in the community organizations that the people who want to build similar type things really should try to emulate and learn. Yeah, there's a moment in your conversation with him, I believe, where you ask him about that name change. And I feel like he says it's no big deal, which speaks to how responsive they are to the community. Yes, of course, this is the, the decision to make. Which is abnormal in the nonprofit community. We have <laughs> way too many organizations, many of them nationally known and relatively from, that are going down with the ship with names that are outdated and no longer represent who they serve or how they serve them. But they feel that it violates their branding efforts or their marketing efforts or something if they were to change their organization. Meanwhile, Jong Ho pretty much just changed the name of the organization a couple of different times because he felt that it didn't necessarily reflect that community or the folks that they were serving at any one particular time. I think there's a, a lesson to be learned there. Yeah, it's great. Let's take a listen to your conversation with Jong Ho Song. 
My name is Jung Ho Song, Executive Director of Koreatown Youth and Community Center, in short, KYCC. And our mission is to improve quality of life for Koreatown residents. Fabulous. Thank you for being here, Jung Ho. So one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is that your organization has continuously evolved and responded to the changing needs of the neighborhood since it was founded in 1975. Can you describe how the neighborhood has changed and how your organization has changed in the ensuing years? I started early, as you know, back in 1985 as a counselor. And at that time, our agency was called Korean Youth Center. We primarily served only Korean-American youth doing after-school programs and crime prevention programs. We had about five, six employees at that time. Over the years, we have added family services and some community economic development programs early on. And this is still in 1980s, but still very small. But I think everything changed after the riot, 1992, where we really felt as a community-based organization to embrace the community and really acknowledge the neighborhood changes. So we wanted to build the capacity to serve Koreatown as a whole. And that's when our work began in changing our organizational culture. It's not just about being multi-ethnic, but really changing the culture so that we have the capacity to serve the residents as a whole. Tell our listeners a little bit about Koreatown. What's Koreatown like in Los Angeles in 2021? We're changing still. Just about 10 years ago, Koreatown was comprised of probably about uh, 60% Latino uh, and about 20% Asian Americans, mostly Korean American. But now, if you're looking at the census, we realize that within the last 10 years or so, it changed dramatically. We have about 42% Latinos now, which is a drop of about 15 to 18%. And close to 15% increase in Asian Americans, mostly Korean Americans here again, up to 40%. Do you have a reason for that change to have taken place? Our thinking is really had to do with some gentrification involved, not enough housing in Koreatown. And when you have quite a few new developments of uh, market-rate apartments that's attracting a lot of younger generations. You know, that's in a higher bracket of income. Well, I think that was one of the main reasons. So you changed your organization's name in 2004. What prompted that change, and did you have any pushback in the community from that? Trent, you did our, your homework over 2004, but that was the second change. The first change actually occurred back in 1992, right after the riot, from Korean Youth Center to Korean Youth and American Center. That was okay. the first change back in 1992. In 2004, we changed again, but this was uh, to embrace the community as a whole, Korea Town Youth and Community Center. Did you get any pushback from the community when you changed no, the name? I think this community did a real good job for about 10 years or so to make sure that everyone understands how important it is for us to be multi-ethnic. We had some pushback, not necessarily real pushback, but you know, I think some of the original members of Korean Youth Center here, original board members, felt that we need to, as long as we have Korean-American component. So it wasn't a real pushback, but they wanted to sustain that identity. So one of the great joys of my job is to go out with you in Koreatown, to just be with you in the community. And because you are clearly the unofficial mayor of Koreatown. And when I've been out within the neighborhood with you, 
People are so happy to see you and they are so eager to support your organization. I have seen people walk up and give you envelopes to support your work, which I know you dutifully report to your accountant and put in the ledger appropriately. I know that because you're a man of honor and you're a man of fiscal transparency, but I've never seen that with any other executive director anywhere else where the people are so happy to see you in the community and to support your work. How did you build that connection? How did you build that trust where people recognize you and want to support your activities? I think it took a long time and I was really afraid that okay, you would actually bring this up. Of course I was going to bring it up. No, because it happened twice, two out of two, right? Both uh, times I've been with you in the community, you yeah. have had people come up and give you envelopes and say, thank you, sir. One of the main things that has to do with that is part of our culture, Korean American culture or Korean culture, but it is about relationship. It is about building that network and it is about trust. That really doesn't happen quite often, quite that often, Trent. It just happened that you and Tim Carpenter was there. That particular incident, both times, was a delayed payment of our concert sponsorship. But they didn't want to come to the office. When they saw me at the restaurant with you, they thought it was a good opportunity to get the envelope, write the check, and give it to me at that time. But, but that does happen once in a while. And it really has to do with trust. And I've been part of this organization for the past, what, 36 years or so? And I know many small business owners. I know the community leaders here. I've been working with them for the past 30 years or so. So I think it does have to do with that network and trust. They know that we do good work here, or, or at least we try hard. Absolutely. And the 36 years obviously is relevant. You have been there on that corner for a long time. And I know that you pride yourself on your ability to be responsive to your community. What other ways do you think you'll be responsive to the community? We have quite a few themes. And I think one of the success that KYCC had over the year is because every other year we have an organizational plan, two-year organizational plan, and that gives us a direction. And that also gives us a sense of priorities. We develop very realistic goals that could be achieved. And from those goals, we had three or four different themes. One is measuring our program effectiveness. Are we providing the outcome that we want to, to achieve? One is community relations and community engagement. Another one had to do with intergenerational that you know of. So yes. that's been added. And one other we think that had to do with is always to fund develop. And those uh, four teams they play a big role. And all of our managers and the leadership group here at KYCC is trying to achieve most from those themes. And we have developed a lot of specific goals and objectives around it. So when you talk about fund development, Zhang Ho, what exactly does that mean to you? To me, it's about creating resources so that you could do the work. And they are very interconnected programs and fund development is very much interconnected. You know, back in the 90s or late 90s, when I first became the executive director here, I really felt that KYCC was in a good situation. We were close to about $2 million agency at that time, which was pretty big. Not a small agency at that time. But one thing, when I looked at it, and I didn't think there was anything wrong with it until one of the consultants... They came in and saw our books and said, you know, you have to do a much better job in terms of fund development or diversifying your fund. Because at that time, it was close to about 95% government funding as a whole organization. So we didn't have any uh, room to do anything special, anything new or anything creative. 
So fund development was a real challenge for me at that time. Today, our funds are fairly diverse, about 65% government funding, rest are foundation funding, fee-for-services, fund development or fundraising through special events. So we're looking pretty decent right now, but it was a very difficult time. And how much do you raise now a year? What's your annual budget? Our annual budget is close to about 15 million right now. So obviously you had to diversify because there wasn't going to be enough government funding. The government funding actually increased every year. Right. But we were able to increase funding sources. And I thought that was going to be very important because when you have a large government funding, your government funding is good for program or foundation for program implementation. But when you want to develop and do more of organizational development work related to facility, technology, marketing, you're going to need a lot more. And you're going to need private money for that. Yes. So in order for us to balance, our criteria is to get about 10% more. So let's say you have $10 million of government funding. Raising 10% of this $1 million is on an annual basis is going to be very important for us. And currently, if you're asking me how much we raise from our fund development side, we're raising that 10%. And we are meeting on an annual basis of that. Terrific. So the name of this podcast is How We Run. And we're interested in how nonprofits run. What allows KYCC to run well? Well, when Julie asked me that question in the beginning, uh, this is how we run well. And we want you to be a part of our we could podcast, I said, I run funny, so I don't have to be on part of that. You know, I think one thing has to do with our history of the organization. We've been providing needed services here in Koreatown for a long time. So we have uh, that trust from the community. Two, I think, has to do with our leadership development. Our leaders here at KYCC are a very passionate people, but they come from different sectors, from government, from corporate, from a nonprofit from here within the community. So it's not just diverse, but we have a diverse background and they have that passion as well. So we have that thing going for us. As I mentioned before, we develop organizational plan every two years that uh, gives us clear direction and priority. So that's been working really well. Our staff are very dedicated. They work hard. They're very clear about their roles and responsibilities. We have a very dedicated board members an increasing number of uh, volunteers. And as I mentioned before, our fundraising has been very successful and we get a lot of support from the community. And you have a decent CEO. Well, I've been doing this uh, for about 23 years. Not good enough, but I think our staff is making me look good. I think another 26 years, you'll have it down. So obviously the world has changed dramatically in the last two years with the two big drivers being, in my opinion, obviously COVID, but also the racial unrest. You're obviously well-versed given, you know, your role after the riots in 92. I'm curious what you've done this time around to adapt to this changing environment. You know, when everything stopped, our leadership group got together and we were thinking, what can we do right now for us to support the community? And I think we had a general consensus that we wanted to help the seniors because they're the one who was suffering the most at that time. They couldn't go out. They didn't have the transportation. And we didn't have the capacity to serve whole Koreatown. But we thought that it was a good opportunity for us to serve the seniors from our low-income housing programs that we have. We have close to over 200 families that we're serving right now. Eight low-income senior housing. So we wanted to target our senior housing families 
and we could deliver essential items and meal for the next uh, four months or so. So that program started in April and it ended close to last September or so. But that was about close to 12,000 meals and essential items. And we really got, we had an opportunity to, to get even closer to our clients during that time. Obviously, so much of your programming is centrally located and it's based on face-to-face -face interaction. How did you guys pivot with COVID to not be able to be in the same room with so many of your constituents? Our staff was wonderful. You know, they had many conversations and we had Zoom after school services. We had Zoom meetings. We were able to provide some computers, softwares, and hardwares so that they could get involved with our programs. A lot of community outreach at that time. But, you know, I think our staff and leadership group really actually stepped it up at that time and saw what the community was needing. And we fulfilled it as much as we can. We didn't possibly serve all the clients here, but we did a lot of work related to even EDD applications, thousands of EDD applications, unemployment applications. Oh, of course. For monolingual clients. So one of the things I like to do here is to invite successful CEOs of nonprofits on and then ask them about a mistake they've made. Well, you got I, two hours? <laughs> I, I got all day, but I think it's illustrative for the young people who listen to this program. Can you tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it? I'm still learning from it, by the way. Not doing it early enough itself could be a mistake. Like, for example, you know, I didn't quite understand the importance of social media. Like six, seven years ago, people talked about it. We didn't even uh, do a very good job of website development. Uh, so when folks came to my office and said, you know, I think this is something that we really need to look at. It took me about a couple of years later for us to really react to that. One of the mistakes is that we saw development not as a whole. We had special events, folks doing their special events work, grant writing separately, uh, website developments. They're all separate communications. And I think that was one of the mistakes that I made was that not bringing that group together and call it development. So currently our development team is comprised of uh, grant writing, special events, external affairs, website development, and social media as well. But what if KYCC was able to do that like two years before that. Right. It would have made a huge difference on us. That was one. And I think another one had to do with the social enterprise. And you may be familiar with this because I talked about social enterprise quite often to our foundational friends for many years. We wanted to do one or be involved with one. So we came out with a long time plan and we developed a uh, social enterprise model which was a vintage soul is the name of our business. It's a boutique of used items right. at the higher end. And we really, we get depended on, we get donations, used donations. And when we were doing the planning, we, could, we got a lot of response back from the community that they were willing to, we could donate a lot of goods. So we did planning, long planning. It was approved by the board. We did the work, talked to many foundation friends for their support. But when we started back in 2019, it was not generating enough revenue. We created a social enterprise, not just to create jobs, but to generate revenue. And the revenue from that particular source was supposed to go support our youth services. It wasn't happening. We lost money two years in a row. And it was somewhat substantial. It was close to about $150,000. It was getting a little bit better at the end, right before the COVID. But we didn't think that it was going to sustain itself. So... 
we closed the Vinci Soul store. And we can call that one of the very painful experience. That's so interesting to me because the two examples that you cited, one, you were a little slow to adapt and one, you were probably a little too early. Yeah, I told so you I you run funny, but you know, for those of uh, those young executive directors out there trying to figure out, there is no magic elixir here. Yeah. You have to try things. You have to be open to ideas. You have to try and see what you can do, but it doesn't benefit you to always be the first one. And it doesn't benefit you to always wait and see what happens. Yeah. You're going to get some right. You're going to get some wrong. Right. So one of the, actually a few of the lessons learned is one, could we have done better by closing the store a little earlier? I think we could have closed it a little bit earlier, like six months earlier. So when you looked at the financials at that time, yes, we were getting better, but it wasn't going to get better to a point where we were going to make $10,000 a month. I mean, if you are going to open a business, if you're making $1,000 a month, is it worth it? I don't know. Right. That depends on the organization. One of the lessons learned also is that we didn't have a champion for that social enterprise. Organizational itself cannot be the champion. We had to have a person who knew that business, who wanted to be the champion. We were a little too dependent on consultants and volunteers. Oh, that's interesting. So you've been doing this a long time, but I know that you're not planning on riding off into the sunset anytime soon, I hope. What's Don't your ask me about succession planning. They're going to have to carry you out of the office. What's your big idea for moving forward and how do you plan on getting there? You know, I think we need to continue to work on our program effectiveness. We need to ask ourselves on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis, are we making a positive impact? Can we do better? What is it that we can do better? So we invested three employees or three staff and they're measuring all of our programs right now. So that's going to take about a year or so. But we have made that investment. And that's the magic question, right? How do we know it works? The problem is it's hard to measure and no one wants to pay for it. But every funder wants to know, how do we know you're effective? Prove it to us with high level data that's expensive and hard to gather. And we're not actually going to fund your efforts to measure that. So we've been doing this for the past uh, two years. But I think we made another investment of trying to measure not just certain government contracts that's paying for the evaluation, but all of our programs, as well as our administrative outcomes as well. Terrific. That's uh, one. I like to say that from our lessons learned, we need to continue to move with our technology data system so that we could better track our, not only with our services, but our programs and clients and community as a whole. So you mentioned succession planning earlier, but let's just play the hypothetical. If someone replaced you tomorrow, what would be your number one tip for that person to ensure success for KYCC long-term? Continue to sustain and build the network that we have. Respect the community, be closer, and make sure that we have a very passionate staff that's doing the work that we're supposed to be doing. All the things that you spend your day doing, right? right. And, you know, our main thing that we discussed at the director's meeting is how can we do more? Let's try to build the capacity, but also gain the wisdom so that we could do it better. I love it. Still hungry. $15 million serving thousands of people. How can we do more? Constantly learning, constantly evaluating, right? John Ho, thank you so much for being here today. I really enjoyed our conversation and I enjoyed seeing the great work that you do in the community. Thank you so much, Trent. Take care. Let's go have lunch soon. We have a request for you, dear listeners. 
I'm hoping that if you enjoy how we run, that you will go and leave a review for us. Your review allows others to find us. And that's a good thing because the more people that listen, the more impact we can have on the sector and that we can bring about positive change for, for other nonprofits that are out there. So if you like what you're listening to, please leave us a review. If you want to be a guest on the show, you think you have a good story and you want to share, you can email us at info at goodwaysinc.com.